All right, well, welcome back to the Leaving Churchianity podcast, and we're in the middle of a series here talking about the holy days of God and what holy days, or holidays, some people call them, that God has instituted for his people and what holy days we should be following as we claim to be part of his family, part of his nation, part of his people. And not only that, but what are the truths behind all of his holy days, how they represent the gospel, how they work in our lives in a repetitive or cyclical fashion throughout the year to focus us on his truths, on the truth of salvation, and to purify our hearts, purify our lives, and as scripture says, to make us clean, make our garments clean as we as the bride prepare for that great wedding day where we where we marry our bridegroom, our Messiah. So we're looking at the fall holy days and we went through the Feast of Trumpets and what that pictures, that great time when he comes back with the sound of a trumpet. And now we're moving on to the next one, which is the great day of atonement, known as the holiest day of the year. Nowadays, uh, in the Jewish community, it's called Yom Kippur, but it really stands for the Day of Atonement. And in the days of the temple, the holiest man on earth, being the high priest, entered the holiest place on the earth, being the Holy of Holies, in the temple on this Day of Atonement, or as some people call it, Yom Kippur. And his annual quest was to provide atonement on behalf of the nation, God's nation, the nation of Israel, which as you know, if you read through your new Testament, if you are in God's family, you are grafted into Israel. Now, not ethnic Israel, but into what we would call spiritual Israel. As we look at like Romans chapter nine, verse six talks about how they are not all Israel who are of Israel. And just because you're a descendant naturally or ethnically, that doesn't mean you're in God's family by any means. It's not about ethnicity. It's about the faith. And if you've put your faith in the Messiah and you've repented and turned your life to walk his way, to walk the narrow path, as Jesus said, then you are grafted into his people. People call them Christians, but you can really call us biblically, uh, the name would be Israel. And like everyone claims, well, we're in the new covenant today. Well, read Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, and talks about the new covenant is made with the house of Israel. That's the whole point. If you're in the new covenant, you are in Israel. You are grafted in. All right, that's just a little side note. But going back to the day of atonement, when the high priest would make atonement on behalf of the nation, God's nation, this was accomplished in in vivid fashion, as, as he placed his hands on the heads of the animals that were to be offered and transferred the iniquities, the impurities, or the, the transgressions of the nations onto the animals, Yom Kippur reminds us that sin is a very serious problem in humanity. It is the core problem that we deal with. And we must humble our souls before the Almighty if we wish to draw near to him. And we must wish to draw near to him because he is the only way of survival. He is the only way to do away with our sin and the consequences and to be right before our God. He is the only way to eternal life in his kingdom. 
So we must humble our souls before the Almighty. And we do this through confession and repentance and the atoning offering of the Lamb without blemish, which is what's pictured in the Old Testament as we will read. And that is a picture, a foreshadowing of Christ. He is the atoning offering. He is the Lamb that is without blemish. And we obtain spiritual entrance behind the veil into the presence of God through that lamb, through Jesus Christ. Now, just a couple quick points about, about this lesson. Okay. We've gone over the day of atonement. It's the holiest day of the year on God's biblical calendar. The high priest goes in, enters into the Holy of Holies. He's only allowed to do that once a year. An atonement is made. An atonement is about expiating or, or making amends for our spiritual pollution, if you will, is one way, would be one way to say it. Yom Kippur is a day for dealing with sin and cleaning out the spiritual pollution that, well, that builds up inside of us throughout the year. As we all know, this, this, this matter of sin is what we constantly deal with every day of our lives. And this is part of the process that God has given us to sanctify ourselves and to purify ourselves through the perfect offering of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, in the explanation or the commandment given for this in Leviticus 23, and again, all of God's holy days are found in one chapter in Leviticus chapter 23, which is awesome. We can just go to one place and you have a pretty good overview. Now, there's other places that talk about them, but we can go here for a general overview. In Leviticus 23, starting in verse 26, it says, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation or holy meeting for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire, and you shall do no customary work on that same day. So your regular job. Okay, we've seen this in other holy days. It's to be a what's called a high Sabbath. It's set apart from work. For it is the day of atonement, the Bible says, to make atonement for you before Yahweh your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does, does any work on that same day, that person will be, that person I will destroy from among his people. And you shall do no manner of work on it. And it shall be, listen to this, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings, wherever you dwell. That's verse 31. That's pretty simple. It doesn't mean that it's it's done away with, like a lot of Christians want to say. No, it's to be a statute forever throughout your generations, wherever you may dwell. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, and you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Okay, so that's pretty clear. So what are some of the things that we can learn from this in our day and age, as we look as we look at what the scripture says, what are some of the principles that we can take away from this? Well, first of all, this day is for cleaning spiritual pollution. Okay, that, that much is obvious. The word atonement means the removal of spiritual pollution left behind by ritual impurity or by sin, by transgression. We all know that we sin throughout our day throughout our life. And this removes, helps to remove the impurity of that. 
and to cleanse us before our God. As Jesus said, look, those who have bathed don't need to be washed again. He's speaking spiritually of being bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But what did he do? He washed the disciples' feet because as you go throughout the day, you accumulate dirt on you and that needs to be cleaned off. And that's obviously it's speaking spiritually of just a continual lifestyle of repenting, turning from sin and cleaning off those impurities. That's part of the lifestyle of those who are in God's nation, who are God's people. Some people refer to this as fall cleaning, this whole day of atonement, because it happens in the fall, just like spring cleaning. You have fall cleaning. But in the days of the Bible, when this was being talked about, Yom Kippur was the day for spiritual cleaning of pollution that would accumulate in the temple to the point where God would be forced to withdraw his his dwelling presence from his sanctuary. That may sound weird to you, but let me read to you Leviticus 16.33, which says, He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. So this was for cleaning all of that, spiritually cleaning all of that. And the high priest would go behind the veil of the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies or the most holy place. And the high priest purification ritual included going behind that veil into that holy of holies. And doing this, as you may know, was extremely dangerous because God's presence was in that room. And you can't, God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And a lot of you may know from previous teaching that the, the high priest would wear bells around the, the hem of his garment with a rope tied around his ankle. And if the other priests heard the bell stop and they weren't ringing and jingling anymore, then that could mean that that high priest had impurity in his heart. He had unconfessed sin and God killed him and they would have to pull him out because they couldn't go in there. Leviticus 16.2 says, And Yahweh said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil. So you couldn't just go whenever you wanted. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die, God says. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, that lid that was on the ark of the covenant. That's where God's presence would appear. In verse 21, then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all of the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all of their transgressions in regard to all of their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. And so I want to rush through some of this because there's, there's, there's so much here and I can't get through all of it. And so I just want to grab the spiritual principles out of here. But basically, they would take two goats, spiritual or uh, unblemished goats, and on one they would perf- uh, confess and transfer all of the sins of the people, all the sins of the nation, the high priests and everything onto that goat and send that goat out into the wilderness and the other goat they would sacrifice to the Lord. But I don't want to get too sidetracked on all of that because there's a lot more principles that we can learn here, and we're not exactly sacrificing goats today because we don't have a temple. And as you know, if you listen to my previous um, teachings on this, it is strictly forbidden 
to sacrifice any animals when the temple is not standing. As God said in Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 13 and in that whole passage, you are not to sacrifice in whatever place your heart desires, but you are only to do it in the place where the Lord your God declares in the city that he declares. And so we don't go around sacrificing animals today. We do have the perfect sacrifice of the blood of Christ that was sacrificed on the cross for us. And that is enough. But there are still observations that we do in God's holy days. As we've pointed out before, these are memorial days. They are to memorialize and we are still to observe them and to use them to keep our hearts and minds focused on the true gospel of God. And they still operate as for cleansing purposes in our sanctification. So that's what I want to focus on in, in this teaching today. So we see that it's a day of spiritual cleansing of pollution. It's a day of dealing with sin. As I've already read, God said this is a permanent statue for you, a permanent statue. And we are to humble our souls before God. And humble just simply means to afflict, to lower your soul before God in humility, in contriteness, as David would say. Now, historically throughout Scripture, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is known as a day of fasting and prayer. That afflicts your soul. It is one of the methods used to afflict your soul and to humble yourselves. It is a day to diminish physicality in order to help you to focus on the Almighty and to draw near to the Almighty, to the judge of the whole world. It's a day that's meant to be set aside as very serious very solemn. And traditionally, there are many prayers that are recited on Yom Kippur to remind us of our need for atonement. And all of, all of our best efforts are useless. And this, this day reminds us of that, that we are completely dependent upon God's grace and God's mercy and the sacrifice that he set up, the system that he set up through the blood of his pure son. So instead of relying on our efforts we rely completely on the grace of God rather than trying to persuade God to give us, you know, a good verdict based on our merits or our good deeds. We throw ourselves on the mercy of his court, on his mercy in humility. As scripture says in Romans 3:23, for all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or an atonement in his blood through faith, Romans 3, 23 through 25. And that word propitiation really means atonement. That's what Jesus did. He was atoning for the sins of the world, for really to redo, the, to undo, I should say, the effects of the curse of the fall of humanity. And as disciples or followers of Jesus, as we, if we profess to be that, we know that we do not deserve to receive a good judgment from God based on our own deeds. We know that. Deep down in our hearts, we, we absolutely know that to be true because we fail every day and we have these struggles. And we do not rely on our own merits but we rely completely on the merit of our master, of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And the day of atonement is the day we focus on Jesus' atonement that he made for us. It's a special fast day. 
It's a day for confessing our sins, repenting, going through our lives and taking assessment and purposeful, meticulous analyzing of our lives and confessing these things over and giving God every compartment of our life that we that we may realize that we haven't surrendered to him and just asking for God's forgiveness. Now, that's a whole lot harder to sell than today's Christian holy days. Like you take Christmas, for instance, okay? Everyone wants to fight as to whether or not Christians to celebrate Christmas and what's wrong with Christmas and there's nothing wrong with it and people are so passionate about it and their emotions are so attached to it that they can't bear the thought that Christmas may not be honoring to God. In the, way that, in the way that it's done. They're so passionate about that. Well, do you think that they would be passionate about that and there would be so much fighting if Christmas was a day of fasting and prayer, a day of solemn worship before God, a day of purifying your hearts and your life and laying your heart bare before the Lord? I mean, no way. No way. It's, it's against human nature. Why? Because Christmas caters to the desires of the flesh, caters to the desires of our emotions and uh, fun, our fun factory, really. But you look at God's holy days, and again, this Day of Atonement is the most serious holy day that God has. It is the, the most humbling day, obviously, because it's a day, it's a day of fasting. It's a day of setting aside all the things that we want to purify ourselves before God and to make sure that we're on the right path for God. Not an easy sell. The only people that are going to want to do this are those that take their faith very seriously and truly want to purify themselves and be right before God and give everything over to him and restore communication and restore fellowship with him because we know sin separates from God. That's what it does. It separates our fellowship from God. And so this day each year helps us repeat every year this process of making sure our heart is humble before God and the lines of communication are open. And the annual observance of this Yom Kippur or Day of Atonement does not mean that we neglect to confess or repent from our sin regularly throughout the year. Okay, don't, don't hear me say that. And nor does it mean that our sins are not forgiven by the blood of the Messiah. It simply means that once a year, it's a good idea to take well, spiritual inventory, if you will, and straighten things up and scrub down our soul as part of God's, as I've said in the last in the last episode, his cycle of sanctification. I think that's a really good way of looking at God's holy days as a cycle of sanctification. Now, one thing I want to point out is that we know that Christ is our heavenly high priest. And the book of Hebrews is often interpreted to teach that the death of Christ is a, a sort of replacement for the sacrifices and the ceremonies of God's old system or, you know, the day of the day of atonement, for example. But a careful reading of the text reveals an important clarification in that in this subject. And after his resurrection, Jesus became a completely different kind of high priest in a completely different kind of temple. It was transferred from the heavenly or from the earthly temple to the heavenly temple, from the earthly priesthood of the Levites and Aaron to the heavenly priesthood. And Hebrews chapter eight, verse four says, now, if we were on, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all 
since there are those who offer the sacrifices according to the Torah, who serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So what's being done on earth is a picture, an illustration of the heavenly temple and what's being done in the heavenly temple. The temple on earth is simply a copy or a shadow of the heavenly temple. And the priesthood on earth is obviously simply a copy or a shadow of the heavenly priesthood. And we know that, look, earthly priesthood, priests of mankind are not going to be perfect. They're mankind. They're going to be sinful. They're going to have problems. And that's why the whole book of Hebrews is making the claim, Christ is the better high priest. Just like the new covenant is found on better promises because it's not reliant on man and man fulfilling God's commands, man's going to fail. Jesus never fails. The covenant cannot fail because it's in the hands of the one who is perfect, who cannot fail. And the blood of the sacrifices on earth during the whole Levitical system was a copy and a shadow of Yeshua's own blood that he sacrificed for us. I think of Hebrews chapter 9, 13 and 14, which says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who had been defiled sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God? Now, Jesus offers a completely different kind of sacrifice in a different kind of temple. Not in order to cleanse the temple, as we read in Leviticus, or to cleanse the tabernacle, but to cleanse us personally from the dead works of our sins. And this atonement through Jesus' blood enables us to draw near to God in his heavenly temple. And the atonement that was done each year on the Day of Atonement is simply a copy or a shadow of the atonement in heaven. Now, the rituals on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, made atonement for the temple on earth. But Jesus makes atonement for us in the heavenly so that we can draw near to God through his heavenly temple, which is eternal. And thanks to the atonement, the atoning work of God's son, who was perfect, we have access to the almighty behind the veil, just like the whole, the, the high priest could go behind the veil. We can now go behind the veil and have direct access to God without the mechanism of the priesthood and the way that that was set up before the veil of the temple was rent during the crucifixion. And we have direct access to God, just as Hebrews chapter 10 says, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So those are just a couple of the things I wanted to cover historically and real quick as a first thing before we get to the application. There's simply Yom Kippur is the day of atonement on the 10th day of the seventh month. It's a day of spent in fasting in contrition and humility going through our lives and repenting and confessing our sins to him each year. And in Jewish tradition, they observed Yom Kippur, the day of atonement by fasting by offering prayers of confession and contrition or supplica supplication to God, beseeching God for the forgiveness of sins. But as disciples of Jesus, 
we know that we don't deserve to receive a good judgment based on our deeds. We know that. Instead, we rely entirely on the merit and favor obtained by our master, Yeshua Jesus, and he is the atonement for our sins. And Yeshua became the high priest, the heavenly high priest, and transferred the sacrificial system from the earthly temple to the heavenly temple. And he's the one that's able to provide spiritual cleansing from our dead works, from our sins. Now let's look at some application here and try to make it a little, try to make it a little more practical for us today. All right. The day of atonement, as I said, it's sort of like a cleansing of the slate. All right. The festival of trumpets begins 10 days of preparation for Yom Kippur. They're separated by 10 days preparing for this, this day of atonement. Okay. And this atonement is a day. It's a fast day, a day of confessing sins, repenting, and asking for God's forgiveness. Something we should never, ever, ever be opposed to, and we should never discourage people from. It's, it's to be our lifestyle. We are to live a lifestyle of confessing and repenting and asking for God's forgiveness and doing these things together as a body of people who seeks purity before God. If anything, we should be encouraging one another to do this more and more. But Again, it's really hard to sell a day of afflicting your soul and spending a day in prayer and meditation on God and fasting from the things that you want to do to focus on purifying your, your heart before God. Well, just a couple words here on what it means to afflict your soul on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. All right, the Hebrew idiom translated as afflict your soul can really be rendered more literally as you shall humble your soul is really a better translation of that more accurate. Anyway, this is a biblical idiom that it does mean to fast, to abstain from food or drink or any other luxuries or pleasures that will, that distract. It's a, it's a, it's a way of sacrificing your will for God's will. And in ancient biblical times, people afflicted themselves by fasting, by wearing sackcloth, you know, coarse sackcloth clothing, or going barefoot or putting ashes on their head and lamenting and weeping and abstaining from all forms of comfort or indulgences. I mean, it's only a day. Is that really too much to ask to help you focus on purity before the one who saved your soul, who sacrificed himself for you? No, it's not. Not at all. We should do whatever we need to do to help us focus on these things and to get ready for our master to return. The requirement to fast, I mean, you can say it applies to the Jewish people, but it applies to anyone who resolves to observe God's holy days. You see this throughout the book of Isaiah, for instance, Isaiah 56. It's not just a Jewish thing or an Israel. It's any, it's any Jew or Gentile, whoever wants to be part of God's family. And when you're part of God's family, you lose that distinction. As Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor Greek, nor bond, nor free, nor slave, nor man or woman in Christ, but all are one. You're all one. So this is for anyone who follows God and wants to observe his holy days. Children and people who are sick, you know, or have infirmities and, you know, they obviously they cannot fast medically or physically. It's impossible. Very, very risky to their health. Okay. There's, there's, there's other things that you can do. But the rest of the community undertakes this fasting. 
And fasting really heightens a person's spiritual focus. It, it adds extra potency to one's prayers and, and the humbleness of the soul. It's incredibly effective, not only to mention, if physically you can do it, it's very healthy for your body too, not just healthy for your soul spiritually. The fast begins at sunset and concludes 25 hours later when the sun has set again. Now, there's a lot of traditions that have come with this and other prohibitions traditionally associated with this flat with this fast are you know not not wearing leather shoes because the priests in the temple couldn't do that and Moses at the burning bush remember God said to remove your shoes from your feet because you're standing on holy ground it's a symbol of humility before God and recognizing his perfect holiness obviously most people abstain from marital relations during this time that's a, that's pretty obvious because of what you're doing during this day. Some people even go so far as to not bathe or brush their teeth, and they wait till the fast concludes to even brush their teeth, which I think is taking it a little far, but look, I, I get it. I get it. It makes sense. I can see where their mentality is anyway. But the prohibition on washing and you know anointing yourself with oil, to me, brings to mind the master's words in the Gospels when he says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And the Father who is in secret will reward you openly, Matthew 6. And one might suppose that Jesus you know, was directing his disciples to wash and groom themselves on this Day of Atonement. But if you think about it, he was referring in that passage to private fasting, you know, undertaken by an individual, not by the community. There's not a community-wide fast. And I bring that passage up because a lot of people will bring that up to say, well, no, this is how you should act on this because of what Jesus said. Well, no, this, this Day of Atonement is supposed to be a community thing. Every single person is doing it. The whole nation. There's no hiding that. There's no hiding humbleness and contrition before God in a day of mourning and spiritual evaluation of your sin and repenting and asking for it's, it's a whole day. So there's no avoiding that. Jesus criticism, if I can just chime in for a second on that, Jesus criticism in this Matthew six passage was clearly directed at the religious hypocrisy of the people at the day who tried to make a public spectacle of how humble they were. And that's obviously ugly and detestable to God. If you think about it, to pretend that you're not participating in the fast of the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur would be counterproductive, and it would carry the appearance of sin, if you really think about it. No, the Day of Atonement is to be a day of humbling your soul before the Almighty God. It's a day of confession, of supplication, of fasting, of weeping. Yom Kippur is about coming near to God. Jewish custom refers to the Day of Atonement as Judgment Day because of its, its biblical association with, with sin and atonement and forgiveness. The traditional synagogue Day of Atonement services last, would last basically the whole day. Since it's a fast day, the whole day is spent in prayer, confession, and study and reflecting. We know that there is a final Judgment Day coming. That we know. God does not mete out or deal out our judgment 
on a daily basis. He's long-suffering. He gives us time to humble ourselves, lest we be humbled and lest we be destroyed. We have this opportunity each year on the Day of Atonement. This Yom Kippur, if you will. It's, it's, the, it's not the final judgment day. Instead, it's, it's a rehearsal. It rehearses that final day of judgment. In the future, all humanity will be judged in God's courtroom. Everybody, even believers, will stand in judgment. The books will be opened, and everyone's name will either be written in the book of life or in the book of death. You can read Revelation chapter 20 for that. Satan is the great accuser, and he will attempt to prosecute every soul and report every sin that everyone committed. And we know that they're all written down anyway. As, as Jesus says, we will give account for every idle word that we have spoken. That's in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to give a, a, a report for that, an account of it, for every misdeed that we did and every iniquity that we committed. And obviously on that day, the great judgment day, it's going to be too late to repent. It's going to be too late. It's all on whether or not your sin has been covered under the blood of Christ. As Hebrews 9, 27 says, it's appointed unto every man and woman, obviously, to die once and then to face judgment. And Paul says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may give an account of the things that were done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. So now is the time to deal with it. There's plenty of warning and plenty of opportunity. It's whether or not you're taking that opportunity. Whether or not, as, Je- as Jesus said to his disciples, whether or not you can rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The names of his disciples are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, Revelation 17 says. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain, Revelation 13, 8. So that's the question to ask every year as you go through his holy days. Is your name written in the book of life or is it written in the book of death? Are your sins covered by the blood of Christ? Or are you going to have to pay for them because you rejected this time and you refused to humble yourselves because you wanted to partake in the fleeting, empty pleasures of this world? Since the destruction of the temple, the temple related rituals of Yom Kippur, this day of atonement, of course, are they're impossible to perform. And that's by design. God designed it that way. And obviously the natural question from that is, well, then why should I bother with Yom Kippur at all? Why should I bother with this day of atonement? If the atonement, the Messiah of the Messiah is final, If Jesus' blood and his sacrifice really is final and it's once for all, then why go through the motions of repentance? Why go through fasting and contrition and all of this stuff on an annual basis? What's the whole point? It's already done. Some people will say you're mocking God and you've fallen from grace because you're resisting and you're rejecting what Christ did. You're not just blindly accepting it. Well, of course you are accepting it. You're absolutely accepting it. And you're accepting the commands that God said are to be observed forever, throughout every generation, perpetually forever. God was not mistaken or lying when he said that every time that he said it. This would be like asking a husband, you know, if I marry her, it should be obvious to her that I love her. Like, why should she have to hear it? 
Why, why should we bother with, you know, all the romantic nonsense of the marriage relationship? It'd be like Moses asking, you know, if we were liberated from Egypt last year, then we're still a free nation, right? We're still free people, of course. So then why should we bother going through the rituals of Passover again this year? Moses didn't ask that. He obeyed God. And the atonement made by the Messiah's suffering secures you and I as believers. It secures our eternal life. But we are still very much alive right now in this present world. And while we are declared sinless and pure before the throne of God through Jesus' blood, our actual experience of reality in this life day to day to day is marred with imperfections. It's dirtied up and stained by the sins that we commit. Isn't that true? And though the flesh is legally dead, God says, it's not actually dead. It's legally dead, but it's not actually dead. We still sin. As, J- as John said, if anyone says they have no sin, they're a liar, period. And the truth is not in them. We still sin and we still need to confess. We still need to repent. We still need to make amends with people and engage in reconciliation with people and reconciliation with God. We still need to seek the Father. As, it's, as Jesus said when he was washing the disciples' feet, look, you've been bathed and you're clean, but you still need to wash. And if you do not wash your feet on a regular basis, Jesus says, you do not have fellowship with me. You have no part in me is the direct quote. That's some scary stuff. So that's why we're bringing up these holy days, because that is spiritual washing that we must engage in throughout the year. As John said in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, verse 10, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Our final atonement in Messiah may be established, you know, may be an established fact regarding our position in in the next life, in the world to come, if you will. But still, as we participate in this, this temporal sinful world that we're in right now, we must continually remember to realign our lives with the reality of that eternal state. So positionally, yeah, we're forgiven in Christ. We're positionally seated in the heavenly places. But practically speaking, as we go throughout this life, we are not in the same position. We're trying to increase in sanctification. We're trying to do better. We're trying to live up to our spiritual identity, if you will. That's what we're called to do, to live holy, righteously, and godly in this present age. And we must remember to continually realign our lives with what God says about us, to realign ourselves with what God says that we're saints. We are saints. We are set apart holy ones. And we're to constantly realign our lives to live like that, to live pleasing to the one we call Lord. As Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? Jesus was very clear, Matthew 23, two days before he was crucified. Anyone who claims to follow him is to obey everything Moses wrote, period. That's what he said. And the, uh, the annual celebration of this day of atonement is a huge part 
of keeping ourselves humble and keeping ourselves holy before the Lord. As members of God's people, if you claim to be a member of God's household, a Christian, one of his people, Yom Kippur is a commandment for you, period. God's commands or instructions that he gave us in the Torah do not, do not offer this Day of Atonement as an optional spiritual exercise for God's people. It's, it's not an option. It's not something that you like elect, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll observe this or I'll do it this year or whatever. No, if you walk by faith, you are to do this. The scripture is very clear. Anyone who does not afflict themselves or keep the Sabbath of the Day of Atonement will be cut off from God's people. It's a permanent statute. Again, Leviticus 23, 29, whoever is not afflicted on that day shall be cut off from his people. Whoever does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places, wherever you dwell. That's pretty clear. So look, we're going to build up impurities in our lives. We're going to build up sinful stains. And rather than trying to persuade God to issue a good verdict based on merits or good deeds or whatever you want to claim, we throw ourselves on the mercy of God's court. In humility, that's what we do. We admit that we have no good deeds and we, that we do not deserve to have our names written in the book of life. We don't deserve that. We confess our sins and we ask God to forgive our sins, not because we deserve it, but because God is merciful and loving. And although there's no temple today, the annual cleanup day is still an important spiritual discipline for God's people. I mean, it's a holiday that it actually has deep meaning and has deep spiritual cleansing effects on our hearts, on our souls, on our lives. It's not just a superficial emotional day of, you know, spending time with friends and family like Christmas or something like that. No, this really cleanses your soul. And as you know, from reading the New Testament, the apostles taught that believers constitute a collective temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We are the temple of God. We are his body here on earth. And this focused day of fasting and confession and repentance and petition for you know, forgiveness is like an annual spiritual cleanup day for all of us as God's temple. This does not mean that, that we do not regularly confess our sins and repent of our sins. It doesn't mean that, nor does it mean that our sins are not forgiven by the blood of Christ. So don't hear me say that that's the case. It simply means that once a year, we have the opportunity to take inventory and straighten things up and clean the house, clean the temple, scrub down our soul, if you will. It's part of God's cycle of sanctification. I'm going to continue to say that phrase. It offers up an annual reset, if you will. I don't know if I can use that language. It resets the, the slate, can be wiped clean, and we can start over fresh. That's what we're doing. It's a constant cleansing effect on our spirit, on our soul, and it restores fellowship and communication with our God. Sin separates us. He will not answer our prayers if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. <laughs> the only, it's, it's only obvious. If we don't go through these things and we don't confess our sins, we don't repent, we don't keep ourselves spiritually clean, we will have a crappy, uncommunicative 
relationship with the one we call God. We'll end up with what many of us have complained about throughout our lives is when we get to these places where we feel like we're in a valley, we're in the dark. We feel like our prayers bounce off the ceiling at night and we stop praying because it's like our prayers are not going anywhere. Well, this is why. This is exactly why. He that covers his sin, Proverbs 28 says, will not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's that simple. Well, that's going to do it for the Day of Atonement anyway. I hope it's been a little bit helpful. I hope you've seen some things that you haven't seen before. I mean, next year we'll go through it in a totally different way and see other aspects that we haven't seen. But that's the second of the fall holy days. And I hope you can see how important it is spiritually, how cleansing it is, how it's a necessary piece of the puzzle that God gives us to walk out our sanctification. As Paul says, to live out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is your part of your relationship with God. This is a process that we go through every year and has brings with it tremendous blessings, tremendous fellowship with people, but fellowship with God. And will bring with it much insight because the more you do this, the more pure you are before God in your in your soul, in your your willful lifestyle with him. And that opens up more and more and more and more each year the channels of communication. As Jesus said, he who loves me will obey my commandments. And if you obey my commandments, my father will love him or her and we will come to him or her and manifest ourselves with her, with them. We will make our abode with you and manifest ourselves to you. And this is one of the key ways of how you do that. So I hope you can see the beauty and the importance behind this holy day. And in the next episode, we'll jump into the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the picture of the Millennial Kingdom. It's the culmination of everything. When Jesus dwells on earth in his kingdom, ruling and reigning with us in perfected bodies in a state of peace on the earth. So until next time, I hope that God richly blesses you and I hope that he can take these some of these things and help you see the beauty in them and help your heart to embrace them. So I hope to see you again on the next episode.